Welcome to Shepherd Peace Ministries. Here today, as we continue our look into the questions and answers in Genesis, we are going to tackle the question in Genesis chapter 3 of what the serpent is. Is it a literal snake or is it something else? But before we begin, let us open up with a word of prayer. And Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you asking for your guidance upon this lesson. May the Holy Spirit's will be done here, and may we be able to have ears to hear and eyes to see, to clearly understand and to rightly divide the Word of God. In Christ's holy and precious name we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and let's read, starting in verse 1, the very subject that we're going to look at. What we want to do is, is we want to identify a way to better understand some of the scriptures that deal with symbolic language. Now, it's very important that I establish here today that I believe all of Genesis is 100% a literal book. I think everything that happened is, is real stories, and I think that it happened in real time and in the time that you can place it in the Bible. It is history. But I don't necessarily condone to the, the idea that every, every way that it is said is necessary literal. So I believe that the, the subject we're going to look at, whatever happened in Genesis chapter 3, I believe is a literal story. It literally happened. This is not some symbolic story of something that you and I might be able to relate to. I, I, it doesn't matter whether I relate to it or not. This happened. But trying to understand what happened is where we have to learn to be able to, to separate out symbolism from literalism. And I think that's probably the most difficult aspect of the first couple chapters in Genesis. Once we get past this, symbolism begins to just kind of to drop off. And I think that's interesting that that's, that's how it works. But this is not, we're not looking at parables. Jesus told lots of stories that most of them didn't actually happen. They weren't historical events. They were just a story that you and I could relate to, to help us to understand a principle, a moral principle that we could relate to in real life. That is not what we're looking at here in Genesis chapter 3. This is an account of an event that happened some 6,000 years ago. But what we have to do is be able to determine what that event was. And here today, we're just going to look at just one little portion of this event. We're going to look at whether or not the word serpent here is referencing a literal snake or something else. So let's, start, let's, just, let's just start reading and see what happens. Verse number one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now, serpent shows up again, on the next page over here, when God begins to deal out consequences. We're going to get to that in a minute. But right now, let's just look at those, those references. Three times, 
the word serpent was used. And the way the word serpent was used was the serpent, the serpent. So it, it sounds like he's talking about a specific, a specific thing. So if I just read right here, and this is why it's so important to be able to um, apply and to archive the entire Bible to just uh, to our subjects. Because if I just took this verse right here, for, for some, it would be as clear as day. Well, we're talking about a literal snake. For others, like me, I wouldn't necessarily be able to say, it's not a literal snake, but I'd be walking around going, oh, it really doesn't make sense to me. All right? So, like I said, for some, oh, literal snake makes perfect sense. For others, yes, it seems like it's saying this is a literal snake, but that doesn't make sense. So, we have the rest of the Bible to lean on which I'm going to reference here. Um, all I'm going to take us all the way to Jesus and show us some references that I think will help us open up our eyes. But for just a moment, we're going to look at some basic Bible hermeneutics. What I want to do is help to be able to determine, because I think one of the biggest questions that I have is, Nathan, how, do you, how can you tell when the Bible is using figurative speech or when it's actually using literal speech? You know what? That's pretty tricky. It is. And I probably don't get it right 100% of the time. But there's a few basic principles that we can lean on that will help clear these things up. And for me, I, I'm going to call them the red flags. If something jumps out, and see, in Genesis, sometimes it goes from literalism to symbolism right there in the same verse. And so that can really get complicated. But it doesn't have to be so complicated that we can't have an understanding. It, it is, we're, we are able, if we apply some, some general common sense, we reflect it against other places in the Bible, it does become clear if we take that time. But what we're going to do here, just to kind of bring out what I'm going to call the red flags here today, we're going to reference another story in the Bible that deals with an animal that is doing something very similar to what this snake is. We're going to turn to Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to, uh, probably a very popular story about a, a prophet named Balaam. Now, just to get us caught up to where we're at, Balaam has been put in kind of a precarious situation where he's got a king over here telling him, I need you to curse the children of Israel, and then he's got God up here telling him, don't do it. And that's where we're going to kind of jump into the story. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 20. And God came unto Balaam in, at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shall ye do. Now this just doesn't really apply to our story, but there is some confusing wording here. And I want to make sure that we get this right. Because the rest of the story won't make sense to you, even on another application. God is not telling Balaam to get up and ride with the men. All right? So we need to make sure that we understand that because uh, it would, this whole story would not make sense if we don't get this first verse. What's being said is, is God's telling Balaam that some, some men are going to come to you and they're going to call you to rise up and follow them. All right? But God says, but, there at the end of the verse, says, but yet 
the word which I shall say unto you, which is not to get up and rise with them. We already know that from previous verses. I say unto thee, thou shalt do. So God's saying, when these men come to you, don't do what they ask you to do. Do what I've asked you to do. All right? All right, they're reading on. 20, verse 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. So right off the bat, we have Balaam doing exactly the opposite of what God said to do. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass. His two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on the side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where, where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Now, we have just read and referenced the story between Balaam and his, his donkey is one, two, three, four, five, six verses. A rather big portion of scripture here. There are many characters in this little story that we've read so far. So here's the question that we want initially ask. Because the story hasn't quite got weird yet, but it's, it's not the average story, right? This is, has this ever happened to you? It's not happened to me. So this is something, this is an abnormal event even up to this point. So what do I want to do to determine whether I'm looking at figurative? These figures in here, are they figurative figures? Or are they literal figures? Because that's what we're going to ultimately try to determine there in Genesis chapter 3. A literal figure or a figurative figure. So here's what we're going to do. First, we take the figures. What we have here is we have God. We have God's angels. We have a man named Balaam. And we have a donkey. Those are the three, four major figures that we have here in this story. Now we take those figures and we ask ourselves the simple question. Are any of these figures acting outside of their normal behavior? Are they outside of their, we'll say, their um, creation baseline? All right? So we have God. He doesn't really have a baseline that you and I can really measure. But so, yeah, God's within his baseline. He's angry. He's got intimate um, abilities. He's not really played a role of great deal yet. But we can say that God is definitely within his normal limits inside this story. No red flags there. We got the angel. Okay, we got an angel that's he's, he's doing something um, pretty significant. But standing in the way of a gate with a sword, that's not outside of a, an angel's realm of duty. In fact, we have a very similar story told right there in Genesis. Angels standing in the gates of the Garden of Eden. Angels are uh, referenced many times in the Bible doing just these things. So the angel is not doing anything that's unusual 
for an angel. Might be unusual if this was a, a person standing in the gate with a fiery sword. Oh, that, that might put a red flag. But so far on the angel, everything the angel's doing is angel-like. No red flag yet. The donkey. All right, so now we have the donkey. The donkey sees this angel and he doesn't, he recognizes it as some sort of danger. So he's trying to get away from it. Is that unusual for a donkey to act in such a way? I see danger. I'm going to get away from it. And he's, and he's acting or she's acting in a very peculiar way to Balaam. But nonetheless, the donkey, I believe, is still at this point operating within normal limits. And of course, we have Balaam who's stubborn and angry and he's expressing all these different emotions and actions and hitting his donkey again. Probably very normal for your, um, a reaction for your animal going in a different direction than you would like it to go. So what we have here is we have a, part, a great deal of this story up to this point has absolutely no red flags. There is no reason whatsoever to interpret that this story is, has any figurative speech yet. Okay, would you agree? Every, everything's operating within their normal limits. Now, let's read the next verse. Things are going to get a little weird now. All right, so we, we turn to uh, verse number 28. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Okay, now we have some unusual behavior. The donkey just talked. Let me read you this again. And what we're going to do is, real quick, I'm just going to eliminate the first part of that verse, and we're going to jump right into the donkey. So let's say that this is all that was present in the Bible. And she, she being the donkey, said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Boom. If that's all that was present, we read that whole story and then jumped straight to that point, I would have a big red flag. I would be forced to ask the question, is this something that is literally happening or is this symbolic of something else? Because we now have the donkey operating outside of its normal limits. We're going to call normal limits outside of its intended creation. This donkey is not acting the way it's created. In fact, this donkey is acting in a way that its creation actually fights against. A donkey does not have a, vo a voice box. It is not physically, inside of normal realms, capable of speaking tones that would be necessary to create words. So we have an issue. Red flag. But that red flag is easily explained in the phrase before it. All right, so here we go. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. Is God still operating outside of his limits? Nope. The God has the power to make the donkey talk. So now we have a talking beast. All right? We're with me, all right? But we know why the, the beast is talking. Because God opened his mouth. So we have an explanation. That helps me to say, oh, this is still a literal story. Nothing figurative yet, 
because anything that could have been figurative has been clearly explained as God's hand in it. All right? And we're not going to read the rest of the story, but it unfolds as the donkey tells the story, and Balaam has a slight conversation with this donkey, and then his eyes are open, and he realizes the donkey helped him out. So now let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And let's apply the exact same rules that we apply to that story and see what happens. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Stop right there. Do we have any red flags? Well, here's the question. So far, it doesn't seem like there's any red flags. We have a serpent, a snake. More subtle than any beast of the field. Now, here's the thing. The only red flag that I would find in there is that word subtle. Literally speaking, subtle means that a snake is quiet and patient. And that would fit a snake to the T, without question. But we know, moving on further in the story, that, that subtle actually plays out in a, in a, a, a personality type way. And that it's cunning and able to achieve something that perhaps the other animals wouldn't be able to achieve. A tiger or a lion might be a little too brass to be able to, to achieve what is about to unfold in the story. So it's saying that, oh, it's subtle. So here's the thing. If subtle is referring only to the fact that the snake is quiet and able to kind of maneuver its way around in a secretive kind of way, then that brings up no red flags whatsoever. It fits a literal snake just fine. But if subtle ultimately means that it's going to be more of a, uh, um, uh, a manipulative type subtle, I'm going to plant some subtle seeds into her mind, then that's not fitting a snake at all. So we might have, I'm going to call it the yellow flag. We have a little something there that doesn't really fit the rest of the whole story. But we're going to move on. So far, the snake's not done anything weird, which the Lord, Lord God, the which the Lord God hath made. Reading on, and he said unto the woman, "Oh, who's he? He is the snake, the serpent. Now the serpent has said something unto the woman. Yea, hath God said unto ye, ye shall eat of every tree of the garden. So we're having and now he's engaging the woman with speech. Okay, we're in the verse. We're in the very first verse of the story. We are in." The second sentence of this story, and we have a red flag. Okay, now, earlier we read this entire story about Balaam. There was no red flag. The whole story started out as easy to see that it's literal. This story is already, from the get-go, has got a little red flag. Do we have something inside of this story that is operating outside of its created intention? Yes, the snake. The snake is speaking to Eve. That is not normal. So now we are forced to sit here and go, okay, I have to figure out what this snake is. I can't just pass by because it's operating outside of its created being. Now, in the story over here at Balaam, it was easily explained why the donkey was talking. Remember what that was? The Lord opened his mouth. God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, opened the mouth and placed a voice and a message into the donkey. Is that outside of God's realm? No. 
we have no explanation where this voice is coming from. Is that outside of the snake's realm? It is, very much so. So we have to now back up and look at this from a different angle. Here's our two options that we have. If I only apply this verse, nothing else from the Bible. If I was to be given, we'll say, a, a, the King James Version of Genesis 3 in a pamphlet and nothing else. I don't know. All, the only interpretation I would have, I guess, would be that a snake talked to Eve. And I'm really confused. So I don't even think this is a real story. I think this is a story that God has given me to kind of be an example of something in the future. That if something evil comes along and tempts me, I probably should just say no. That would, that would be all that I could get out of this story. Because I know snakes don't talk. I know I have no other evidence without the rest of the Bible to prove that this is anything but a snake. Now, some of you are going, Nathan, don't you know this is Satan? Huh? Well, don't you know Satan? Well, then I ask you, if all you had was this, how do you know it's Satan? Do you know Satan is not referenced in Genesis chapter 3 one time? He's not referenced at all. It's always talking about this serpent. Just a serpent. What is the serpent? If, if there's no reference to what this is, it has to be just a snake. So this evil old snake in a perfectly created world sneaks up on Eve and decides to tempt her. And when we go to the consequences, if we interpret the consequences completely liberal, we have to assume that it talks about that the snake will be cursed above all cattle and above all beasts of the field, will crawl upon its belly, just like a snake does, and eat the dust of the ground all the days of its life. That fits the snake perfect. It has to be a snake. So, there's our, there's our first option. But is that what the Bible supports? Now, we have to be real careful. Because when we lock ourselves, I have no proof from just these verses what this is. So, is it symbolism? Or is it literal? If it is a literal snake, here's a couple of issues that we might have. One, how does a snake talk? Now, I took, I took a moment to be fair with all the, those who stand on the ground. It's a little snake. I looked into a, a few articles on what I, I assume are going to be the giants of this particular perspective. And the two basic explanations of how this snake talked, did you lie Satan, was this. That Satan spoke through the snake. We've got a problem with that, though, in over here in the consequences. The snake got the brunt of the consequences. In fact, if we read this literal, Satan didn't get any consequences. You, you can't show me from the consequences where Satan got anything. The only thing that got anything was the snake, just the serpent, the serpent. Everything was about the serpent. So the serpent got beat up pretty bad by God for something that Satan did through him. And I'm assuming that we're all on the same page when we assume that the, the, a snake is a dumb beast. It has no intentions against good or evil, especially in a perfect world, the snake was being used, if that in fact is possible. Now, there's also another problem with the fact that Satan is an angel. Angels do have the ability to place thoughts into our minds. But they can't control our minds. Especially the mind of a beast. And then to be able to bring forth a voice 
out of the serpent, there is no evidence reference in the Bible or extra biblical readings that I've come in contact where angels ever took God's creation and was able to change them into something to do something outside their normal limits. Talking snake. A talking snake, a snake doesn't even have a noise box of any kind. At least a donkey could make some noise. Snake can't do anything. But yet Satan is causing it to speak. That's pretty powerful. And I know we want to give the angels all these supernatural powers, but let's not forget, they're created. They operate inside of rules, just like you and I do. They are not free to be gods. The second one position is that Satan possessed the snake, that he entered into the snake's body and that he again was controlling the snake. Okay. Another problem. Again, who got all the consequences, the controller or the animal, the animal, all I mean, if we leave this literal, the animal is the only one that got punished. Satan got off scot-free. That's supported in the Bible? I don't think so. And then, of course, we have the other problem. Again, back to the angels being created. Angels, although they are not like you and I, they're probably not unlike you and I as much as we'd like to think. When I have evidence in the Bible where they can procreate with people, so they're not, they're not genetically so far outside of our realm that we, they can't have children. Angels are a complete creation. You and I are made up of three parts, as the Bible teaches, the body, soul, and spirit. When we are put together, that I am, a, at this point, a complete creation. When my body dies, I will be sep my, my soul and spirit will be separated from my body. Then, at that point, I will be an incomplete creation. Which means that someday, when the kingdom returns, I will need a body in order to be a complete creation again. Are you with me? Okay. Angels, are, they're created just like us. Maybe not like us, but they are complete creations. They have a body. It may not be a body like you, but they have a body. I cannot take my body and force it into somebody else's body. It doesn't work like that. There is zero, again, zero evidence in the Bible that angels fallen or unfallen, have the ability to enter into you and I in some supernatural spiritual way. They can't. They're physically complete entities. Not going to work. Barriers there. What we do see in the Bible are demonic possession. That is a soul that has lost its body, but has not gained entrance into heaven. We see reference to that plenty of times in the Bible. That is different than a fallen angel. So, I don't think that we have any biblical reference whatsoever to support that Satan has the physical ability to take on a snake. Satan does not have the ability to look like a snake. We get this idea because when angels come into the earthly realm that they look like people and we're like, well, that's not what they look like in the heavenly realm. Well, one, Revelation gives us some insight on what the angels look like. But again, from a figurative perspective. But when they enter into the earthly realm, the only speaking that we have of angels is that they reveal themselves in the form of a man or maybe a woman.
not animals. They cannot take on animals. So, and this is a rather big event. Would you not agree? This is the fall of sin nation. There's two big events in the Bible that stand out from all other events. Yet these two events are found in 99.9% of all children's Sunday school class nurseries. If you go to just any given church and walk into their childhood nursery and look on the walls, you will see murals of two things, maybe some other, but you will always find these two things. A picture of a tree with a snake and an apple and Eve and Adam, poorly dressed, getting ready to eat that apple. And then you'll find a picture of Noah's Ark and animals sticking their head out sitting on the ocean, or a picture of the ark on a hill, and all these animals walking up to it. Do you realize that those two events are, bar none, the greatest horrific events in all of history? Yet they're on childhood storyboards. How's that? Why? Because the Bible is able to present the most gruesome stories of all time in a way that even a child can be told the story and not go home and have nightmares. If I was to take the time to break down what happened between verse number 1 and verse number 24 in Genesis chapter 3 and to truly paint a biblical picture of what happened in that, that one day, you would, in fact, have nightmares. It was a horrific horrific day. The world in an instant went from perfect to introducing the of the sin nature at such a level of murder and rape and everything that you can imagine all came into focus that one moment. So if, if perhaps the story is being told in a way that helps us relate to it in a less aggressive way. So let's look at let's look at the serpent from a symbolic perspective. Is it possible that this is simply just symbolism? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 verse 2. And reading, and he laid hold on the dragon, the, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Does that now tell us who that old serpent is? That old serpent. He's talking about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's also called a dragon. But he identifies him as the devil and or Satan. So we now know for sure that this serpent in the Bible... Is Satan. Okay, he didn't name the serpent Satan. This is Satan that is playing the role of the serpent. All right, and then we have Revelation chapter 12 for a second witness, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. It says, and the great dragon. Again, just the same wording as we read in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, the great dragon. 
Is Satan literally a great dragon, fire-breathing dragon with multiple heads and multiple tails? Or is that describing something? I think most scholars would agree that this is a description of a role that Satan is going to play. Yet, in one, in one word, we say the dragon, description, and the next one, the old serpent, literal. It makes sense to me that dragon describes an aspect of Satan and serpent describes an aspect of Satan. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew. We'll start in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to get some words from John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3. We'll go to verse number 7. These are the words of John the Baptist. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him, come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, call these, well, you know what? Maybe they're not people. I don't know. These Pharisees and these Sadducees and these Pharisees come to him and he calls them snakes. Now, are these literal snakes that are slithering up to uh, John the Baptist? I have never heard anyone accuse these verses of talking about literal snakes. Yet, he is literally calling them vipers. Perhaps maybe John the Baptist's sight was off just a little bit, and, and he, he can't quite see clearly, and they're just kind of wiggling when they walk up. And he said, oh, you might be vipers. Or is the name viper a description of who these people are? Maybe a heart condition. Turn to our second witness. We actually have several, but we're just going to hit this one other one. Matthew chapter 23, verse 33. Now this is Jesus. He's addressing the same people, just different time. And he says... Ye serpents. Huh? Well, we heard that word before. Are these literal serpents here? No, they're not literal serpents here, Nathan. You know that. Oh, but they're literal in Genesis 3. If Jesus himself can use serpents here to describe a people, can he not? And he's not just describing any people. He's describing people that have a connection back to the same thing that is in the Garden of Eden in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. That old serpent, the devil. Alright, so it says, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Symbolism in the names. Satan is given Many, many names in the Bible. If we were to take the time to open up the Bible, which we do not have time, but I will list them for you. Satan, or Job chapter 1 verse 6 calls him Satan. Isaiah 14, 12, he's called the day star. In Isaiah 14, 12, he is called the son of the morning. Ezekiel 28, 14, Satan is called a cherub. In Matthew 4, 1, he is called the devil. In Matthew 4, 3, he's called the tempter. In Matthew 9, 34, he's called the ruler of the demons. In Matthew 12, 24, he's called Beelzebub. In Matthew 13, 19, he's called the evil one. In Matthew 13, 39, he's called the enemy. 
In John 8, 44, he's called the liar. In John 8, 44, again, he's called the father of lies. In John 8, 44, he gets a lot in John 8, 44. He's called a murderer. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called God of this age. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he's called the angel of light. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15, he's called Belial. In Ephesians 2, 2, he's called ruler of the air. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called a roaring lion. Revelation 9, 11, Apollyon. Revelation 12, 9, he's called a dragon. Revelation 12, 9, he's also called the deceiver. Revelation 12, 16, he's called the accuser. And in Ezekiel 28, 2, he's called the prince of Tyrus. Satan is given a lot of names, and he is not literally all these things. These things describe who he is. So I'm going to, to end on this note. I want you to place yourself in the garden. Put it to you this way. Let's say that my cat, now I, I like cats. Let's say my favorite cat walks up to me one day on the front porch. And he holds a mouse, a mouse in, his, in his mouth. And he drops it before me. And I had just read the food laws out of the Bible. I'm, I'm contemplating how important it is to follow God's law and to not eat certain things. And the cat opens up his mouth and says, Hey, Nathan, hey, buddy, I want you to eat this mouse. Now, first off, if I was Satan, the last thing I would do is use a cat to try to convince me to sin. And I'll tell you why. Because once that cat began to speak, he will become an enormous distraction. I'm not going to be focused on anything he's saying. The only thing I'm going to be focused on is, how is he talking? Eve would be no different. Eve is living in a perfect world. She understood nature just fine. She understood the snakes don't talk. And here comes a snake offering her something that she knows. And remember, I am an expert in sin. I know how to sin. I've sinned a lot and I've figured out how to get out of it. So I'm so this cat trying to offer me sin would not have the same impact as offering it to Eve. Eve doesn't know what sin is. The only thing that Eve knows is don't touch it because she heard that directly from God. I, I don't have that relationship. Yet I would still find myself enormously distracted by this animal. I think that that would be a poor way to communicate one of the most difficult things that Satan's going to have to do is convince Adam and Eve to violate God's commandments, but I'm going to do it with a distraction of a snake? It doesn't, for me anyway, that doesn't make sense. And let's say that Eve gets past that distraction. As maybe I would, but eventually I get past the idea that this uh, cat is talking to me. Now, this cat does not represent God. And nowhere in the story of Genesis chapter 3 does Satan claim to be God. In fact, he references God as a third party. So Satan is not, is not claiming to be speaking to this snake as a God. And I think that's interesting. Because if I was Satan and I was speaking through an animal that doesn't normally speak, I might go ahead and monopolize on that opportunity to say, Hey, I'm God. I want to tell you what to do. 
He didn't do that. Could be because he didn't really have that snake as an avenue to claim to be God. He stood before them as a creature different than God. But let's say I get past that. But now you're asking me to sin. How much persuasion... I have a lot of people in my life that have, you know, when I was a, a young man, in my early 20s, one of the, the I, I worked on the road as a pipe welder for many years. The number one thing that was pressed upon me a great deal was drinking. Hey, come drink with us. Just try it. I even had people that were very close to me, that claimed to love me, try to get me to drink alcohol. I didn't want to do it. Now, that's just alcohol. That's not bringing down the entire world into sin nature. How much influence, if I'm going to say no to my friends, how much influence is an animal going to have over me to do something that I know to be wrong? I think it would be a little. And I think that plays out with the snake. The snake is not going to have the influence that a great angelic figure might have, who is acting in a way, from a figurative point of view, like a snake. He's going to be sly, he's going to be dirty, he's going to be lying to you, but yet he's going to be an entity that Eve is going to be easily enticed by. I personally would consider the snake the last creature on all of God's creation that I would use to try to entice a woman into sin nature. I personally think a, a tiger would be much better. He's furry, he's cute, he can purr. What's a snake got? Nothing. All right? Well, that's just my, my perspective. And here's the other thing. Maybe practice is the biggest aspect of all times. We've run out of time, so I I'm not, can't go into great detail. This event is referenced in the rest of the Bible in other places. Never is it referenced as a literal snake. I mean, you would think this unusual event would be mentioned again that a snake came out of the tree and, and even interacted with a snake. It's not. So, it does reference the idea many, many times that Satan, with other names, other names, but Satan was present here. And I think most of us will agree that this is Satan, at least Satan playing a role of some sort, but this is Satan. And the only way we know this is Satan is because of the other Bible verses. This alone we cannot call Satan. We have to reference the other Bible verses. And the other Bible verses don't reference it directly other outside of symbolism that he's just an old snake in the grass. And then when we come over to the consequences, which we're going to look into some his consequences a little deeper in our next lesson. But you, if we were to believe that a literal snake had fallen and was given these consequences, which seems to indicate that this serpent had legs, and now he lost his legs and he has to slither on the ground for all the rest of his life or all of eternity. And he eats the dust of the ground. That would say that, that God physically chains a snake. And of course, when I go out into the world, I see that that's how all snakes are. So not only did he just punish this snake, but he punished 
all snakes, every snake, for the rest of their lives. So if the snake is going to wear the punishment, it has to be the snake that made the fall. Not Satan. We can't give Satan ownership of something the snake did. If the snake's getting the punishment, that means that God clearly saw whatever the serpent is, that's who God punished. And so the question for you is, did God punish the snake or did God punish Satan? And if you go that God punished Satan, then you understand that this is a figuratively speaking of Satan as a snake. If you go with God punish the snakes, then you see this as a literal snake. But you cannot place, even in Genesis chapter 15, where it talks about Jesus crushing his head, you cannot give Satan that punishment. Jesus did not have victory over Satan. He had victory over a snake. So, there's your two options. I'm going to leave it to you to choose which one you would like to go with. And I hope that our study here today has been beneficial to you in some way. May God bless you.